Hello everyone, welcome to the Transform Podcast. Uh, my name is Andrew Farhat and I have a new guest today and his name is PJ Arsval and he is a graduate from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, my alma mater. Uh, awesome and I'm grateful that he's with us today. And um, so in this podcast, what we do is we cover difficult questions uh, that are proposed to the Christian faith and, and really all questions are welcome. You could submit them to hello at sjdenver.org. Um, and then in addition, we want to encourage you, if you have been blessed uh, by anything that you've heard here, we do uh, encourage you to subscribe or follow, and you could share it with any of your friends that you think uh, could benefit from this, and even some of your enemies too, that if you want to just talk to them about the Bible, you can. Uh, that was meant to be funny. All right, so now we're going to just jump in to the question for today. PJ, and that is, why should I trust the Bible? And isn't it written by men? Uh, isn't it full of myths? Um, and so that is kind of where we're going today. Um, and so I will just start off with, so I wasn't always a believer in this stuff. So I was a skeptic. Um, and so what, what we're going to go over here are some of the things that changed my mind in my journey. Um, and that really happened for me in college when I was about 19 years old. And I think one of the things is, as we think about, is this myth or is it history? One thing that stood out to me and that continues to stand out to me is the number of extra biblical sources that verify the same information. So let's start with Jesus, because he's kind of the central figure of all 66 books in the Bible. Um, and what we have is several uh, references from the first and second centuries uh, that state things about his life and his existence that are also verified by the four gospel accounts. If you're new to the scriptures, the gospel accounts are the four uh, eyewitness accounts about the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, but I will start with not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because if you're a skeptic, you're probably like, well, I'm not going to verify the Bible with the Bible. I want to verify it with extra-biblical sources. Right, PJ? Yeah, exactly. So, so basically, let's start with this one. Tacitus is um, a Roman orator and public official, born in AD 56, died in 120 AD, probably one of the greatest historians and the greatest prose stylist who wrote in the Latin language. So what we have in his writings verifies the following, that there is, uh, he verifies that Christians did exist in the first century, that they derive their name from a historical person called Christus from the Latin or Christ. Uh, second, he verifies that this Jesus Christ suffered the extreme penalty, which is alluding to the Roman method of execution known as crucifixion. And then also, by the way, we do have other uh, extra-biblical sources and archaeological findings that confirm that crucifixion was actually a mode of execution um, in the first century. Um, and then also he verifies some interesting names here. He says that these things occurred during the reign of Tiberius. So he's uh, mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and by the sentence of Pontius Pilate. And of course, he is... The, the Roman official who ultimately uh, uh, allowed for the execution of Jesus by crucifixion. So that's interesting that 
So you have historical figures uh, that are referenced uh, by Tacitus. Yeah, and it's amazing just how many of those details line up because you have somebody else who's coming in and who's looking at, just reporting on what's happening. And within that, it's not just, yeah, there's a guy named Jesus, but um, all of these different details that we see in the gospel accounts that um, the gospel writing, writers are reporting, we see pop up throughout um, kind of the historical record too of the people at the time and, and day and age um, to a point where it, it almost feels like they're trying to confirm it, um, but they're just reporting what, what's happening. Who are these people and what are they doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, uh, and that is an awesome point. And, and we're going to, after we cover these extra biblical sources, what we'll have a chance to do as well is uh, PJ is going to jump in on, well, who were, who were the gospel writers? And we'll, mm -hmm. we'll jump into that. And that's going to be good. Um, and so second reference is to a guy named Pliny. Okay, he's the Roman governor of Bithynia in Asia Minor. In one of his letters dated around 112 AD, he asks Trajan's advice about the appropriate way to conduct legal proceedings against those accused of being Christians. Okay, so in his writings, PJ, check out these following facts uh, that we can extract from Pliny. First, he verifies Christians regularly meet on a certain fixed day for worship. All right, and so that's in the New Testament. It's called the Day of the Lord, which we know to be Sunday. Uh, second, their worship was directed to Christ, demonstrating that they firmly believed in his divinity. So that's really an interesting point, which is central to New Testament belief, that Jesus was equal to God the Father, which is a unique claim in all religions of the world yeah. that a religious founder would claim to be God. But we'll get to that later. And what... Uh, Pliny states is that they were actually singing hymns to Christ as to God, um, which is a powerful thing, which also verifies Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where we believe that there's the first hymn that's exalting Jesus, that although he was in the form of God, did not equal count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Yeah. Um, and so you have that data point. Um, and then in addition... Um, or, or rather piggybacking on that, Pliny understood that Christians were worshiping an actual historical person as God. Um, and this is uh, the central New Testament foundation of our faith, that Jesus is Lord and we consider him fully divine and fully human. Yeah, and just that acknowledgement right off the bat, because I think in recent years there's been this push to kind of get to the, the human Jesus, which is important. Um, but it's important to note that from the very beginning, there has been a following of people who consider Jesus not just a human, but as the Son of God. That wasn't a later development, but from the beginning, that's who they believed he was. And so it verifies that this Christian movement is not something that kind of formed over time, but kind of launched at yeah. the time of Jesus. So are you saying that there wasn't like a Lutheran voters assembly that voted on that? <laughs> no, I, I don't think that that okay. popped up at any point. Yeah, so there was not a democratic vote on this. It was simply something that the first believers just said this is the faith that has been that we have received yeah and what we'll talk about later too is when we consider jesus because obviously if you're listening and you haven't yet put your faith in jesus pj wouldn't you say like that's the central question that our faith hinges on yeah we'll, we'll definitely get to that but as you'll see throughout the conversation um, ultimately our faith is in jesus and we use the Bible, and it's been this great gift to point us to Jesus, but He is the center. center. Yes. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, then 
it's understandable that the Bible wouldn't make sense. It's understandable that there's things that are confusing. It's things that are confusing and we have to grapple with even as believers. Um, but ultimately, yeah. it points to Jesus, and we'll get to that. Absolutely. And one of the things that we all have to wrestle with is who did Jesus claim to be? Yeah. You know, why would we want to think that he was... Um, we we, we want to wrestle with his claims. Okay, you're saying you're this. Well, what have you done to back that up? And we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, the the third uh, first century source is a, actually check this out, Josephus, a Jewish historian. So, this is a Jewish man. Yeah, not a Christian. But check out what he says here, PJ. This is an eye-opening quotation. He goes about this time. There lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared, restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. Wow. Doesn't it, doesn't it sound like... Maybe a light bulb turned on for Josephus there. It certainly feels that way. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he was asked by the Romans to kind of categorize and, and record the history of the Jewish people. And so this event obviously was so influential, um, the life of Jesus and what he did in his ministry and the Christians that sprouted forth that in an account of the Jewish faith, he felt the need to record this. So this you can't miss this. This is so important. Um, and yeah, it does feel like a light bulb went off, like that he yeah. would be willing to write down that strong of a statement. Right. And then also, this is kind of a, you know, somewhat of a strengthening of the faith for me, is that uh, the Christian faith has its historical roots in the Jewish faith, mm -hmm. and that the first 39 books of the Bible are called the Old Testament, which is all written by Hebrew people, and yeah. it's pointing forward to who the Christ will be. Um, and then Josephus is a Jewish person who's saying Jesus is the Christ, and then all of the New Testament is written by Jewish Christians who are verifying that very ancient faith that came through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that was passed down to them. Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah, so very interesting um, when we consider all of that. Um, and so uh, there are several extra-biblical sources in addition to those three and uh, there's too many to mention, but some of the noteworthy ones I'm just going to highlight are uh, from Sue Antonius, Celsus, uh, the Babylonian Talmud, Thallus, Bar Seropian, Phlegon. Those are in addition to Pliny, Tacitus, and Josephus. And there's more. And so uh, there's a lot there. Um, so it's just like, okay, uh, we're not reading uh, myths. We're not reading... Uh, you know, some, somebody just made some story up and just said, hey, this sounds interesting to just, you know, deceive the world. But rather, these historical events um, are verified in extra-biblical sources. And then, you know, just as I reflect on this, PJ, the whole world has been changed by the most famous man in the world, and his name is Jesus. Yeah. So regardless of what we think about the New Testament, we have to wrestle with the fact that there are over 2 billion people that worship him as God today, about 2,000 years later, and the faith has spread to places like Africa, China, um, and is continuing to spread rapidly. Yeah, whether or not you are a Christian, believe Jesus is Lord, 
I mean, the Christian faith and what Jesus has done has changed the course of history. And that's, anyone can point to that. And people will disagree on how good or bad that was, but it has changed everything. And sure. that's why the Bible is the number one most published book. And um, like you said, two billion people across the world, not just in one area, but throughout the nations believe. Absolutely. Uh, one, of my, one of my friends, he goes, that's not a believer. He goes, Andrew, I just came back from Europe. And man, there are paintings of Jesus everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, that's awesome. And I really invite you to check out a gospel just to see a historical account of who he, who he was. Um, I don't know if he ever did. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so, so just uh, to kind of wrap this section up um, on just the historicity of Jesus, uh, PJ, did you have anything you wanted to say about, all right, who were the writers of the four gospel accounts. Yeah, so as we think about, again, Jesus, we're starting there, um, the place where we actually read specific accounts of what Jesus did, what he said, what you know, his death and resurrection is in those four gospels. Like you said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's important to understand who these people are. So churches traditionally understood those four named people to be the authors. And so you have John and Matthew, who would have been Jesus's disciples. They would have been part of his tribe of 12. They would have walked with him. They would have seen these things firsthand. So they're claiming to be eyewitnesses to these events. Um, then you have Mark, who would have been alongside Peter, who is yes. another uh, eyewitness. He's kind of like the leader of the disciples. And so he's again got firsthand eyewitness knowledge as he's recording this for us. Um, and what's interesting too is as he records this, uh, Mark's gospel is not flattering towards Peter or towards any of the disciples. And so as we think about these authors and what they're trying to accomplish with their writings, um, they're not really elevating themselves in any way. If anything, they're casting a pretty negative light on their own self. They, they look like baboons sometimes. It's just how the things they say and do. And yet, they were willing to write it down because of what it highlighted about Jesus. Yeah. And so they felt that what they had seen and experienced, they wanted to record. Now, one of the most unique ones is Luke, because Luke was not originally in part of that tribe of disciples. Um, but I wanted to read the beginning of Luke, because Luke's gospel lays out what his goal is and what he's been up to. And yeah. so in Luke chapter 1, this is how he starts off his account of Jesus. He says, And as much as, as, in as, <laughs> in as, much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Oh, wow. And so Luke says, there have been a lot of people who've been working to compile these stories and these teachings of Jesus. And I've done the research. I've talked to those eyewitnesses and I'm trying to make it as accurate and compelling as possible, and he's writing to this guy, Theophilus, um, so he might know. This Theophilus has questions, and he's laying out, here is an account. And so he's a historian. I mean, he's, he wasn't there, but he's talking to eyewitnesses. He's collecting these stories. He's talking to people who experienced Jesus, and he's talking to the apostles and compiling them so people could also hear these stories as well and, and who Jesus was. Yeah. Okay. That's so fascinating. Okay. So what, so what you've said is Matthew, John, eyewitnesses. Yep. So they're just saying, hey, this is what we saw. Uh, and then Mark is written under the direction of Peter, which is historically verifiable. There's references towards that. 
And uh, if Peter was just making this all up, like he really sheds a poor light on himself yeah. and the disciples just in terms of like, we didn't really get it. We didn't understand. We kept following this guy. He kept teaching us and doing these miracles. And we just, we didn't really understand. But then you land on Luke. And I feel like that's a, his, that's a very interesting uh, historian. So Luke is a historian. Yeah. Right. So he's writing as a historian. You can see in his gospel, he's laying out names and places a lot more than the other accounts. Um, but here's a here's an interesting uh, quote from a man by the name of Sir William Ramsey on Luke. He says, he, so Sir William Ramsey is a famous archaeologist and historian in the early 1900s. And he was highly skeptical, skeptical of the book of Acts, which is written by Luke. It's like mm -hmm. Luke part two, yep. which records the first 30 years of church history. So Sir William Ramsey spends 14 years in Israel seeking to disprove Luke. Instead, he wrote, Luke is a historian of first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. This author should be placed along with the very greatest historians. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So like, all right, so we, we have a guy named Luke who clearly has interviewed Mary and uh, other d uh, of the disciples who were eyewitnesses, and he's put this all together. Um, Sir William Ramsey tries to disprove it all, but he's like, oh, this guy actually Looks right. did his homework here. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting point. Um, all right, so what we've done there, PJ, then so far is we've covered extra biblical sources uh, confirming uh, history regarding Jesus, historicity of Jesus. Uh, we've also covered who the four uh, gospel writers were. Now what I'd like to do is shift towards archaeology in the Bible. And archaeology has been quite a friend to the Bible, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. And this is one where people always point to because uh, the Bible claims to be an account of true events of God and his dealings with his people and with the world. And so... If this is true, we'd expect that as we uncover the past through archaeology and other practices like it, that we'd see some of these pop up. And, um, and to be fair, there's people who on both sides will pull up one example in support and pull up one example against. But it is remarkable how many things archaeology has pointed to and confirmed the scriptural account. So, for instance, um, if we're just looking in the New Testament, Jesus' time and thereafter, and we have archaeological evidence of Herod's temple in Jerusalem, the Durb inscription of Kerti Hayuk in Asian Minor, uh, Erastus inscription in Corinth in Greece, a lot of Paul's correspondence um, with the church in Corinth, and he's writing in Corinth from Rome. And we have the tomb of Augustus in Rome, Italy, the pool of Siloam, and the uh, Pontius Pilate stone. So all of these real places, these landmarks, these buildings, these inscriptions um, that are alluded to or specifically referenced in Scripture in the New Testament, um, we find pop up in archaeological evidence that they actually manifest. Oh, there it is. That's what they were talking about. Wow. Okay. And, and you've named some big ones, but the list is even longer yeah. for the New Testament. And I think, obviously, the New Testament is written approximately 2,000 years ago, so we would expect to find more archaeology verifying places uh, and so forth. Um, so that's pretty cool. But then I think... Uh, the elephant in the room, PJ, is what about the Old Testament? Yeah. Is there any archaeology that verifies anything? Because that's a long time ago when all that stuff happened. That is. And that's one of the tricky things with any scientific practice going backwards is the further you go, the harder it is to project and to find. And so obviously, the further you go, the 
harder it is for archaeology to give us a, a full accurate representation of what life looked like, what existed, and yet we still have found quite, no we, um, they have found, people, archaeologists have found quite a bit of evidence for a lot of the things found in the Old Testament as well as we look way back. So for instance, um, archaeologists have uncovered uh, the Hittite ruins. Um, so the Hittites were uh, a people in kind of that area of the, the Middle East um, that the Israelites had a lot of interactions with and there's a lot of scripture talking about their interactions um, and they found ruins and evidence of their society, artifacts, um, clay tablets, archives. And so there's been a lot of work that's discovered. Yeah, these people really did exist. Yeah, yeah. and those Hittites are uh, referenced in the first five books of the Bible. Yeah. Hebrew people call that the Torah and Christians call it the Pentateuch and it's the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those the Hittite civilization is referenced. Yeah, okay, wow. Exactly. Um, just other examples. I mean, the uh, Mirnapta steel inscription by an ancient Egyptian king, which dates back to probably around 1200 BC, um, was discovered just about the turn into the 20th century. Um, and it verifies that there was a people called Israel at that time. So again, as we think of how recent these people um, that Jesus came into were, we see 1200 BC, clear example that they existed. Um, in 1993, there was an Israeli archaeologist uh, who discovered the Tel Dan inscription, which is a 9th century tablet and commemorates an uh, Aramean king and his defeat of the king of Israel and the king of the house of David. So again, more example of, of this battle and the celebration of what has been done, um, but specifically in an interaction and a battle with Israel and their people. And then you have um, Dr. Nelson Gluck, who's an American rabbi and archaeologist who discovered over 1,500 ancient sites um, in Israel mentioned in the Bible. And so wow. there's many examples, um, but we see that these are not just random things, uh, but these are real events, real places that we have archaeological proof of. Wow. Okay. So that's very interesting because uh, obviously as 21st century Americans, uh, we think of Israel as a country that was established in 1948. Yeah. Prior to that, it was... Uh, Palestine uh, only um, and then but what this is saying is the Israel people a people known as Israel um, existed a long time ago um, and not only that but there's references to King of the House of David yeah How I mean it's cool a very that? specific reference yeah yeah King David is of course one of the writers of the Psalms and a, his a significant historical king in the Old Testament mm -hmm. um, well, that's really cool. Okay, so what we've covered then so far is extra-biblical sources, uh, who the writers were of the Gospels, uh, the friendliness of archaeology uh, to the Bible. Yeah. Anything else you want to add about archaeology? Well, the one thing that I'd just say, um, like I said, people can point to examples of, that are for and against, and there's sometimes where it's, you know, if this happened, why don't we have archaeological evidence for such and such event or such and such city? And that's fair, right? We want to, that's, that's a fair point. Um, I think it's just always important to, exam uh, to remember that we only have so much information right now. Um, so a great example is the city of Troy. Uh, so Homer writes about the city of Troy, and everyone knows like the Trojan horse story and the battles of Troy. And for a long time, Troy was just considered a mythical city. It was Historians were pretty much in agreement that this isn't a real city, this is just a made-up one for these mythologies. Um, and then lo and behold, not that long ago, in the, I think, mid-20th century, archaeological evidence pops up evidence that, oh, Troy was a real city and it actually exists. And so the, the point of that is not to say that we don't trust archaeological evidence or um, that it's wrong, it's always going to change, but just 
realize that we always have a limited view at any given time, and so we might continue to discover things. Um, there's some things that are lost to time um, in archaeology, but just because we don't have evidence of any given event or city doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a real event. Because otherwise, you know, Troy didn't exist, and now all of a sudden we realize, oh, it did. Oh, it did, yeah. yeah. Okay, so what your point is that even if there are archaeological findings yet to be discovered to verify certain uh, events in Israel's history, uh, history is telling us it doesn't mean it's not going to be discovered yeah. tomorrow or 100 years from now. Um, and certainly in our lifetime, it's like there's so much that's, that's happening. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, of course, are yeah. a, a recent historical finding. Um, and then, of course, this 1993 discovery of the Tel Dan inscription verifying King David is too. So one thing, could, yeah, cool. I was gonna say one thing that's tough too is if you look at the land of Israel, you look at that region, um, it has changed hands so many times. The different people groups, and it, I mean, scripture testifies to that. Recent history testifies to that. And so one of the tricky things is, I mean. You look at some regions that have had less civilizations and it's easier to find ruins, but you have so many cities being destroyed and rebuilt and, and so it's always going to make it more difficult to find any specific exact thing. Um, and so it's just something to keep in mind as we think about archaeological evidence. Mm -hmm. Sometimes things are lost simply because somebody else came in, they destroyed what was there and they built something new and yeah. just important to keep in mind. Absolutely. So PJ, then so far what we've covered is is the Bible history. And I think what we've presented arguments in favor of that understanding with extra biblical sources verifying the historicity of what is stated in the Bible, as well as a very friendly uh, item, which is archaeological findings, friendly to the Bible. But that still begs the question, is the Bible divinely inspired? Um, I think that that is enough food for thought for our listeners to uh, grapple with and wrestle with. And if you were blessed by today's podcast, we would encourage you uh, to subscribe or follow, and then also to share it with anyone else that you think could be encouraged or strengthened in their faith. And, and then of course, as we go into this you know, topic, the whole point of this is not just to know that the scriptures are divinely inspired, but to read them and to find a local church where there is biblical preaching and to take in the word of God as the bread of life and food uh, for your soul. And so uh, if you have any other questions, please submit them to hello at sjdenver.org and we'll see you next time.